The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. Yes, welcome to the show. A live show. As our chat room is just in disbelief that we actually are live after, uh, it's been a, a few weeks, actually, and I... I apologize for that. I was in, um, you know, I took I took a, a ten day vacation or so. I think it was about ten days, and I have not done that without it being work related, uh, and it never that long. But uh, without it being work related, for probably uh, God, I can't even think of the last time ten day, ten years, maybe longer. Maybe 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 I there's a trip in there, but not for ten days. But for the most part, you know, any travel that I've done. Uh, which I enjoy, by the way. I like I like uh, traveling for work, and uh, whether it's paranormal stuff or some of the other stuff I do, Scaricon, whatever it happens to be, I really enjoy that. But it's not a vacation. And I finally took a vacation in mid-August, uh, went to Sturgis, actually, the super spreader event, which it wasn't, but that's what they want you to believe. And I had a great time in Sturgis. I didn't think I would. I actually thought it was going to be you know, kind of uh, a lot, uh, just too much work to be worth it. But man, what a beautiful, beautiful event. I I took my motorcycle. A friend of mine and I went. We trailered our motorcycles. He has an RV, so we we stayed in the RV. We stayed at a, a gigantic camp camping facility that uh, had concerts every night. Things like uh, we saw Night Ranger and ZZ Top, and that was all pretty cool. But the riding. The motorcycle riding around Sturgis was just fantastic. I cannot even begin to explain how beautiful it was. Uh, seeing things like Devil's Tower and uh, the Black Hills and um, Mount Rushmore, which we actually didn't do this trip. We had done that on another trip. But uh, spectacular. The weather was gorgeous. The riding was phenomenal, except the fact my, my Harley developed a problem, which I just got a call finally. I mean, here we are a month later. I finally got a call from the Harley dealership, and it's ready to be picked up. All fixed, so that's good. But uh, our, the first ride we we went on, uh, I developed a problem with the clutch, which kind of hampered our riding for that day. And then it seemed to resolve itself. I was able to ride the rest of the trip, and then the last day, the very last day, we went to take a ride before we uh, loaded up to leave, and uh, the clutch didn't work again. So I guess it could have been a lot worse. But man, I you know I I again never realized how beautiful when you drive through South Dakota you kind of just see nothing but flat grassland and windmills by the way so many windmills but if you ever have an opportunity to just even if 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 it's motorcycle or not I'll tell you this stuff is beautiful when you're able to do it from the uh the seat of a motorcycle because it's you know open air and everything uh, but if, even if you just do it by car and you check out the Black Hills and you go through Needles Highway and some of these other places, it's it's breathtaking. It really, really, truly is. Custer National Park, stuff like that. Really spectacular. So I did that, uh, came back, and then um, because of that trip, I recognized a real opportunity. And that's one of the things that's probably a curse of mine is that I'm constantly thinking about business and, and the show and other shows and and things I can be doing, but I recognize an opportunity for the political show that I do, which many of you know and many of you uh, follow, support, and all those things. And thank you for that, by the way. But the political show is called the Independence Gang, and uh, I recognized that this this community that was at Sturgis is very, very, very aligned with what we talk about in the political show. So I 
talked with Britt Griffith, who is my co-host of on the political show, and we decided, hey, you know what? Let's go. Let's go to the next biker event that looks feasible, and uh, let's broadcast live. So we ended up like turning around. Uh, you know, there wasn't that much time in between in going to the Atlantic City Bike Week, which was last week. And broadcast live from there for four or five days, whatever it was, which was a lot of fun in itself. And uh, we we learned a lot about uh, how we can take advantage of these events and, and uh, um, take advantage of being in the public and stuff like that. So we're going to do more of that. And we're also talking about doing some of these paranormal events, too, and broadcasting from paranormal events with this show. So a lot of stuff going on. And I, and I understand that... Uh, that it's frustrating when we're not doing shows on a regular basis. I get it. I get it. But uh, sadly, I'm kind of a one-man operation. I've got Slick Eddie part-time who helps me out you know, with, with a lot of stuff. But, but Slick has a bunch of different things he does. So I don't always get use of his services. So I have to, uh, I've got to do most of the juggling myself. And there's just a lot going on. So I appreciate it. But having said all that, <laughs> we've got a great show tonight for you. Vince Wilson was on and. Uh, I think it was it was early July, and uh, Vince is an investigator and a researcher of the paranormal. He's a seance expert. He's written a book, uh, which I think is called Ultimate Ghost Tech, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And I, when he was on, I thought, you know, again, we ran out of time in the middle of our conversation. I said, Vince, you got to come back on. So tonight is a night that Vince is going to join us again. So I'm looking forward to that. So we'll go to break. And uh, when we come back, we will bring Vince on. We'll begin our conversation. Thank you to everybody for being here. As everybody files in to the chat room, good to see you all. I appreciate you being patient and I appreciate your support. And I appreciate you coming back. We are going to do more of these, I promise. So uh, welcome back. Or maybe you should be saying welcome back to me. Either way, it works. And we'll be right back with Vince Wilson. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month less than a dollar goes a long way in helping us produce this program provide great interviews for you during the course of the week i thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply chat room is it absence makes the heart grow fonder or out of sight of out of mind i don't know which of the two it is but either way i see a lot of folks coming back in that uh, i haven't seen in a while so thank you for for doing that i do want to mention one thing that i forgot to mention in the opening uh, segment of the show when i was in atlantic city doing the independence gang broadcasts which by the way i'm going to encourage you to find the independence gang on uh, youtube also twitch also d live we just started uh, broadcasting there also rumble and the podcast version of the show, and I know I'm missing one there along the way. Oh, oh, a foxhole as well. You, any, any or all those platforms will be terrific if you would subscribe just to give us the numbers, even if you're not a political show kind of person. But anyway, when, when I was in Atlantic City, uh, we actually debuted a new program that we're going to start doing with, I think, some regularity. It's still kind of in the kind of 
drawing board stage, but it's called Paranormal Road Hogs. And basically, the concept behind this particular program, and we, we actually, uh, believe it or not, have had some interest from one of the uh, cable channels uh, to possibly uh, look at this concept for a television show. But the idea here is that uh, we're combining biker culture and the paranormal. You, you know, what, what paranormal outings also make great motorcycle riding? Put the two together, do some investigations, and uh, there you have Paranormal Roadhogs. The, the only place you can really, I think that you can um, support that at this point if you want to kind of follow along is the Facebook page, Paranormal Roadhogs. Anyway, so I'll keep you updated about that project as things move, move ahead. I tell you, I'm, I'm involved in so many. Uh, it's, it is a, quite a juggling act. But I don't know that I'm involved as many in, in as many as our guest tonight. Vince Wilson is a, an investigator, a researcher. He's a seance expert, among many, many other things. He's got several websites. The websites include ghosttech.com, posemagic.com, and vincewilsonmagic.com. Vince, welcome back to the program. Great to have you here again. Oh, it's, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me back on TV. I, yeah, I think, uh, I think it was early July that you were here last, mm-hmm. and I just remember that you know our conversation uh, was continuing when our time ran out, and I said, boy, we got to have Vince back. It was so fascinating <laughs> to chat. So what, what have you been up to in the, in the last couple months? Well, as you know, I do, uh, besides being a paranormal investigator and parapsychologist, I also do uh, magic shows, and I've been doing a little some of those now that the world is kind of opening up again. People are starting to you know, look for things to do. So I've been doing those as well. You know, the uh, doing magic has gives me a a better understanding of uh, fraud and fakery to some degree. You know, I'm less. I think I'm less likely to be hoaxed uh, in those rare occasions when people invite you over because they want to get a TV show or something along those lines. But it does happen. You know uh, that that is a huge point, and uh, it's one of the things I respect about Houdini so much is that he did set out to 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 demonstrate that so many of the spiritualists of his day were frauds um and he desperately wanted to contact his mother on the other side uh mm-hmm. but but the fact is and you're absolutely right there are so many and i maybe it's waned a little bit but for a while there were so many paranormal groups that were desperate for a television show watching the other paranormal reality shows they thought oh we can do that too and they would they would try to fool people into thinking they've got evidence and and i mean it's one thing as you can use your skills to go uh, on location with these people and and tell that they're you know it's a tr- it's their tricks. It's another thing to have people using high tech you know Photoshop, Adobe Premiere, After Effects, and all mm-hmm. these things and throwing them into videos. Are, are you able to detect that stuff too? Oh yes, and, and for what I can't detect, I have friends who are more even more experienced in those sorts of things, and they can actually look into it pixel by pixel ah. and detect when someone has. You know, there's always tells. In fact, a lot of people don't even know that your camera and software saves data points of information in those images. You can look into the data of the image and find what camera took a picture with it. If oh, it has wow. a timestamp, mm-hmm. it'll actually put the time and date in it. All sorts of information is actually saved in the data points, especially mobile pictures taken on mobile phones. Now, if you're honest, these are things you don't have to worry about. You should right. never even think about it because it's like it's actually data points or things you want to have because it adds credibility to your photographs. You, but if, you, no, go if ahead. you're deleting them on purpose, that's suspicious. Yeah. Yeah, and that's important. Most people, I mean, it, it, the data isn't obvious, but it's there. Does it tell you if it's been edited? Does it tell you if two images have been combined? Is that the type of thing that you can get out of that it, data? 
some with some enriched programs, it will drop that information there. Not all of them, um, but you. But by examining the the pictures through, there's analyzing and there's ways of increasing the depth perception and light lighting of the photograph that allow you to see sections and places where it's an augmented. And of course, a a a, a picture that's been smudged or imaged or copied and pasted. The pixels aren't going to line up right. There will right. be, you know, no matter how good you are at Photoshop, there's always telltale signs of, that are given away. Always. There was a video that was circulating. It may have been, I was going to say, year. It could even have been two years ago now, which was uh, supposed to have been somebody driving through a Gettysburg National Battlefield Park, and uh, you know they had a camera on from within inside a car. And they caught what looked to be a ghostly apparition. Um, mm-hmm. When I saw it, I, I pretty quickly uh, debunked it, and I actually put a little video together and, and sent it out. Did you happen to see that particular video? I am. I'm familiar with it. I actually know that. I actually know who filmed it. Yeah, that's the person who filmed it. Yeah, you- the uh, the but yeah, the it's it's uh, you know the the thing with Gettysburg is that you never know is it a re- reenactor or yeah. a of a Civil War soldier. In fact, so many reenactors have been there over the years. Even if you saw a real ghost, is it ghost of a Civil War soldier or a reenactor who had a heart attack in July? You know, I'm right? Right. Uh, it, it is such a it, Gettysburg is is gets a lot of of um, you know recognition as one of these supposedly most haunted cities in the country. But I would argue that sure, it's it's a tragic battle. It's very historic. It's very uh, notorious for its uh, position in yeah. American history, right? Uh, but but the thing is, it's also a tourist trap. You know, there's there's been uh, huge, significant battles, but the difference between Gettysburg and these other places is that they're not walking distance to the battlefields from gift shops and souvenir stores and ice cream, par- you know, ice cream parlors. Uh, which Gettysburg has all those things. I guarantee you, if if Antietam's had a tourist district right in the battlefield, it would be as, if not more popular than Gettysburg. Right. Well, Antietam was the bloodiest day in American history, if I remember correctly. That's correct, yes. Yeah. Um, I love Gettysburg. It's one of my favorite places to go, not necessarily for the paranormal part of it, which is kind of a bonus to me. I'm just a Civil War buff. Mm-hmm. Um, but all right, so, so I, I, I debunked the, the video from my perspective. Sure. Did you, what, did you, what were your thoughts? If you knew the guy that filmed it, what were your thoughts of that video? Well, the, I, I think I had similar thoughts, you know, that it wasn't necessarily, I don't know if he necessarily knew that it was probably not a ghost. Uh, but uh, but it 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 is uh, what you know is if I remember correctly, it's been a, quite a few years since I looked at it. Uh, but yeah. it's like it it's, it looks like a an artifact of the limited aspect of the technology available at the time. It's, it's yeah, well, older I, video as far as I'll tell you what I I tell you what I thought it, what I thought it was, yeah. and I think I'm pretty sure. I'm I'm you know virtually 100 percent convinced I'm right about this because my analysis mm-hmm. of it was pretty pretty detailed. Uh, but it looked to me like there was a there was a like a a streak of water coming down the windshield, and that streak mm-hmm. of water was in the center of the of the of the camera frame, and so that streak of water bent bent the light from the headlights that was reflecting off of all the objects that were you know the cannon the wall whatever, and that looked like a person running around. It was it was you can see the water you can see the drip the the image 
follows the drip. It's pretty clear to me that was a water light anomaly that was uh, that the camera was picking up. It's compelling because it looks like someone running around. Um, you can it almost looks human shaped in in you know in nature. But uh, I, I'm pretty. Again, I, 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 would, I, would I would say bet, your assessment is correct. Yeah, I would bet anything yeah, that I'm right about yeah. that. I really did analyze it pretty closely. And the sad thing about it was is when I saw it, I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. But you know what? That's okay. That's all right. That's kind of our job, isn't it, Vince, to, to look at this mm-hmm. stuff and say, you know, we know that 99.8% of, of this stuff we get is going to be either just misinterpreted or phony, one of the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's that, you know, that zero... That 0.2% that we get, that is really what keeps us in the hunt. Well, there's, there's, in my opinion, there's three types of investigators. And that every investigator should ask themselves this question. And hopefully they get it right. Probably not. But let's go, let's go for it. All right? The, <laughs> the three types <laughs> of investigators are the good, the bad, and the sad. All right? The, the good is someone who's genuinely curious. They want to know. Maybe they had an experience when they were a child. Maybe they grew up on paranormal TV shows like I did, like In Search of, and sure. Shirley's, believe it or not, and, th- and that's incredible, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and Ghostbusters and Poltergeist, you know, <laughs> on and on. Yeah. Or maybe they had an experience. Maybe they saw a ghost when they were a kid or, or whatever their motivations were. They are generally interested in knowing. They want to know, is this real? The second time, second type of investigator is the band. The bad one is those who want a TV show. They're just all they want to do is, you know, stroke their own ego. Yep. And the reason to get into it is because of those reasons. And the stand is kind of like the band in a way, except they just want to be part of something because of some kind of perceived inadequacy. They don't fit in, you know. And that's that's not. I'm not judging those people because it's it's called sad for a reason. It's, it's, I'm not also not saying it's pathetic. I'm just saying. It is, you know, people that just don't seem to fit in, and they think this is a place that they can get empowered by having this previously, uh, you know, like I know things that other people don't know. I have experiences that no one else experiences. That makes me special, you know. And so there, these are, you know, the, those two aspects, the bad and the sand, neither one is particularly good. I think the bad is worse, you know, because it's it's it allows, it, it's part of the reason that, um Paranormal research and investigation and parapsychology, by extension, um, is not as widely held in regard as it used to be, and less so all the time. You know, it's uh, by the, the the powers that be, the scientific yeah. community, et cetera. Yeah, there was a, there was a this actually. I want, I'm going to go back to these TV shows you mentioned in just a second, but I want to piggyback on a point you just made. There was a time when people like Hans Holzer. Uh, Lorraine and Ed Warren um, and some of these other parapsychologists, I think really how they they viewed themselves in many ways, Um, you know, they took it. They took this effort to hunt, quote unquote, for ghosts very differently than what I think how we perceive it now. And and the, the TV shows like Ghost Hunters, which, you know, full disclosure, I was involved in, or uh, Ghost Adventures or, you know, na- uh, uh, Paranormal State or in, in Name Your Show, it kind of changed it. It took it from a what I would say to be a bit of a more academic approach to a more uh, working class approach. Is that a fair assessment? I think you're correct. You know, it, it did. You know, the and to, be, to clarify a little bit more, uh, Hans Holzer was a 
pretty close to parapsychology, so he was still a ghost hunter. Yeah. And in fact, he, he identified that way. He, he liked the term ghost hunter, preferred to be called that. Ed and Lorraine were occultists and demonologists specifically. Right. They they probably didn't like the term parapsychologist. They looked at they looked at parapsychology as as skeptics. Um, J.B. Ryan, of course, is a parapsychologist, one of the original ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and a, not, a modern one would be Lloyd Auerbach. You know, out in California, right, for right. example. You know, as well as that. But there, uh, there haven't been many parapsychologists outside of talking head spots. Like when I every spot I've done on a paranormal TV show is also is always been a talking head. Yeah. I go in there, I talk <laughs> about a, a specific topic they ask me to come on for. And then I'm not invited, usually not invited back. <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> but the uh, you know, uh, uh, the uh, if the Holzer files had gone on for another season, I like to think I might have come back for an episode. But um, but the uh, but for the most part, talking head spots are what they delegate um, parapsychologists to for the reason you just mentioned. You know, it, it has become it's less academic. Yeah. And more, and, and I actually think that's fine. I think it's okay to be to do ghost hunting for fun. I've seen said on multiple shows. I think I said it on your show last time. If you're if you're an amateur ghost hunter, uh, you know you should not be going in people's homes. You should not be bringing a team of untrained right. friends and family members into the house of a family. Right. You know that's there's ethical reasons for not doing that. People look at going into a home as a I graduated to panel investigator. The no, you're. It's that's bad. You know, it's, it's uh, you should. Yeah. You know, there, there's people out there who who have decades of experience and that are verifiable. That's another thing is, in the modern world, we have digital trails. You know, we have there's all, there's all kinds. You can Google my name, I come up all over the place. Yeah. You know, uh, you do. You know, of course. You know, yep. it's like so. There's verifiable data points you can look up. You can look up people online and find out that this is person actually experienced. They actually know what I'm talking about. If you look someone up who says they have 30 years of experience and they're 45 years old, that's bad. You know, they, uh, <laughs> they, uh, and also check them out. Did, did, have they lectured? Have they written? Have they contributed back? Uh, have they um, done things with the experience they said they have? That's, and then if you can find, if you can find the rare person with some level of experience that could help you, then maybe you can be, get, to some point with enough experience over a, not a reasonable period of time, have that, uh, you know, have the credibility you need to, to have that judgment call. Like I said, this family needs help. I'm going to help them out. But, uh, but you shouldn't rush into that either. There's a lot of people just, they, they, I'm sure there's people right now listening and saying like, you know, Yeah, I mean, and you're right, and at the same time, I I sympathize with the folks who just are eager to get out and and do this because they're passionate about it, so it's a difficult, it's a double-edged sword there. I want to to talk about Lloyd Auerbach for a second, though, because I had him, I've had him on the program, I've talked to him. He's a bit miffed. He's, I mean, he comes off, at least, a little bit bothered by the popularity in pop culture of these paranormal reality shows he he kind of thinks they're dumbing down the the science well he's he's uh it depends on and i don't want to uh, misrepresent anything he's saying and i'm not trying to badmouth him at all i just think it's uh, an important point that he makes about it he, and he and he's correct and uh there in, in, in that way the way from the perspective he's looking at it, he's absolutely correct you know it does 
uh, dumb it down a little bit. But also, as long as it's like, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with going and investigating a haunted uh, penitentiary, Eastern State or Waverly Hills or the uh, Lizzie Bourne house or, uh, or, the, uh, or any place in New Orleans, basically, or Gettysburg. There's nothing wrong with going with, in with EMF meters and that sort of thing. Um, but when people go on these TV shows and they say that this is how this works, this is how that works, this is what this is with definitive statement, yeah, right. that, is, that is when, that's what like, uh, takes people off like Lloyd and even myself, you know, the, uh, when it comes to these, uh, the, those topics, because it, it's, you know, half the time they're wrong. Like the EMF detector, one of the most popular pieces of ghost hunting equipment. There. Yep. There are, it's often referred to as a thing that detects ghosts, and it was never intended for that. That's right. That, the, from the very beginning. It I'm was glad you're saying that. Looked, I'm really glad you're saying. Yeah, I'm glad you're saying yeah, this. It looks, it, it looks for changes in the environment, and it, which may be caused by the presence of a ghost. And, you know, but it might be the refrigerator on the other side of the wall. And if you're not, if you're not, if you don't know what you're doing that's probably actually what you're picking up is old wiring, yep. you know, and the, uh, and these have to be used uh, with baselines and over hours and, you know, with you know, systematic investigation over a period of days, you know, people worry too much about how many places they can investigate as opposed to how many times they can investigate one place. I'm really glad you said that, uh, you know, at best, uh, an EMF detector can tell you something anomalous might be happening, but it's certainly not a ghost detector, as some people actually call them and brand them. Uh, that that's a little yeah. frustrating to me as well. Uh, I want to go back to these television shows and these these pop culture references to ghosts that you mentioned here. You talked about the the TV show In Search of, and I know that in our first discussion back in July, I I told you that that show too influenced me tremendously, and it made me start to research things like. Uh, Bigfoot and ghosts and UFOs and you know of course uh, Eric Von Daniken's um, Chariot of the Gods was a huge impact on me and piqued my curiosity and set me on this path. Um, the show Ripley's, which I want to get to in a second, but one of the things that I never put together, and I want your opinion on this, is the movie Ghostbusters. Now it's easy for people to say, and Ghost Hunters, you know, had this this uh, wrath particularly when it first came out, but it continues today. People confuse Ghostbusters with Ghost Hunters. They call Ghost Hunters Ghostbusters all the time, you know, and we laugh about it. However, I never felt like Ghostbusters actually had an impact on me from a paranormal perspective. Like, it didn't make me want to hunt ghosts anymore. It didn't... What are your thoughts? Do you think that pop culture phenomena that is Ghostbusters actually made people think about the paranormal a little more seriously or not? I, I think it was it, it 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 became part of the pop culture lexicon. It was in the zeitgeist, you know, as a reference to the paranormal. The the yeah. in the movie, the characters identify themselves as parapsychologists. Right, you know, all four of them. Uh, the you know, there's a famous line at the beginning of the movie where uh, Bill Murray's character literally says, "I have degrees in psychology and parapsychology," you know, um, and it. But I think people. Uh, define that or recognize that as a comedy and an action film more than it is a representation. They would look at more like pol- at Poltergeist or, um, you know, or or the entity as a. If you want to use examples from the 80s of of uh, 
in the 70s and 80s as movies that are representative of the paranormal supernatural in investigating those topics. Uh, Ghostbusters is, is an easy way for the media to uh, have a little fun and uh, use a reference point that people would know as they're discussing these topics, you know, even more so than TV shows. I, literally every local TV show I've ever been on in Baltimore has introduced me with either, you're going to call, how about Vince yeah, Wilson? Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and I, and I, the Baltimore Sun did an interview with me, did the same thing. It was literally real Ghostbusters in Baltimore. It was in the Wired magazine also interviewed me and referred to Ghostbusters in the article. So, yeah, that's that's completely normal and common. Yeah, it is a major anchor point for pop culture's understanding and reference to uh, paranormal or ghost hunting in general. Um, you mentioned movies, too. This is also, I think, very, very important. I think a lot of this started, if we want to look at a, at a point where really the interest in this topic and the fact that people are going to go out and actually try to gather evidence that supports the presence of some haunting or ghosts or in this case uh, possession a lot of that started with the movie the exorcist and i often think that ed and lorraine warren and i don't know if they ever mentioned this in an interview or not i honestly have uh, look at some of their work with a bit of skepticism however um i almost think that the, the timing of their appearance on the scene had a lot to do with the movie the exorcist as well it probably there's a correlation there. You know, the the Exorcist was had a, it was a extremely popular because it it was a major motion picture that was released internationally and had all this incredible uh, infamy associated with it. Immediately, people were passing out in the movie theaters. Um, uh, yeah. You know, they were they were fainting in the aisles. You know, basically, and there was and there's a, a lot of uh, attention to exorcisms for the first time, and the Catholic Church got involved, and it had all. It also tarnished the reputation of the Ouija board. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is which is, by the way, to your audience, harmless, absolutely harmless. Uh, Ouija boards are, <laughs> in my personal opinion. Uh, but the but the but the exorcist actually put uh, like damaged that reputation for forever. Uh, you know, Ouija boards up until that point in the 20th century were were harmless board games yeah. used for date for date nights. Yeah, party um, par, parlor games, party games. Exactly, and then after that, it became this portal, and, and none of, none of that is has any uh, faucet in reality. I guarantee every experience that people have about Ouija boards being portals or secondhand information, and if they say they had a personal interaction that was a negative with the Ouija board. My question for them is. You you can never know if that was because the Ouija board was there or because you're trying to talk with ghosts. In the That's person. right. That's right. You know exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so. I mean, it's a tool. It's a tool like any other. It's, it's a, yeah. you know, if, if people put f uh, faith or even, uh, I, I don't know if blame or responsibility or credit, which of the words is appropriate, for an experience based on the tool they're using, um, you know, that's on them, kind of. You know, I mean, it, as you just pointed out, it could, ha it could happen even without that tool. It's just the effort yeah. that you're putting that you're making toward that. Uh, but you're right. The Ouija, let's talk about the Ouija board for a second, because... Uh, 
you know, they've been around forever. And, and it wasn't until which company was it? Uh, is it is it Hasbro? Hasbro, I don't know. Hasbro owns it now. Parker Brothers before that. Parker Brothers, right? Started as a game, as a board game. I think I think I got one when I was like eight years old. You know, it was like Christmas gift. You know, and mm-hmm. it, 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 you do that now, and, and people would accuse you of giving somebody a devil worshiping tool or something. Exactly. The, the Ouija board was originally invented in Baltimore in the late uh, 1900s. Although talking boards existed. Before that, what we all know is the, the modern talking board or Ouija board was invented by the uh, Emmanuel Fudd in the late 1900s, uh, uh, and, and relatives and friends of his contributed to this. It belonged to the talking board company, eventually sold to Parker Brothers, and, which is now owned by Hasbro. And I like to ask people, do you really believe that the Hasbro manufacturing plant, <laughs> it's a coven of witches that curses yeah. every board as it comes down the aisle, you know, springing the bits of Stonehenge and dust into the ink on the plastic parts and, and uh, you know, laminate cover. Or do you think it's just, a, but the truth is, it's just a piece, it's cardboard and paper. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like I've seen people use pendulum boards. Uh, you know, it's similar devices, but as soon as you introduce a Ouija board to get, you're freaked out. And yeah, scared. yeah. So let me but ask. I, I would argue that EVP is more dangerous. Let me ask you this about the Ouija board, though. Um, you know, let's let's put aside the, the idea that it's a it's a portal to something and it lets things through that shouldn't be coming through. Do you think it can be used as a legitimate tool for reaching out to the other side or not? I think it's, it can be used as a legitimate as much as any other tool can be used. You know, it is, you know, people, you know, ask questions. There's always a stage, and in most investigations, there must be asked questions to the environment. Like, is there anyone here? Give, you know, please make, give us a sign, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and the, and it's just like any other tool, the Ouija board has potential to to do something, you know, to have a reaction, you know. Um, there's an argument you made that the, because you have humans that have to interact with it, there's a certain degree of, of a, uh, you know, contamination with that because they are uh, touching the planchette and they're allowing their, you know, uh, muscle, you know, micro muscle movements, et cetera, et cetera, to to touch it. But there's not being ignored for what that is. You know, the uh, you know pendulums. Some of these older types of uh, spirit communication. Or you know, are have not been touched on because people got into what's called what's called in parapsychology, techno spiritualism, using uh, technology today like EMF detectors and voice recorders. And, and the funny thing is, we're also stuck in a bit of a rut, you know, where the the investigators keep using the same old tech over and over again. The modern technology that's right here and available now. Like, why are you going on eBay and buying voice recorders? When one of the best voice recorders in the world is what your mobile phone can yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's like an iPhone's microphone, or even a, or a high-end Android phone, has better microphones than anything you can get independently. Or if you really want to take it up a notch, you know, you have phone jacks in yep. your phone for a reason. You have unlimited storage capacity if you hook it up to the cloud. Why are you getting a voice recorder from the from eBay that has? 100 megabytes of storage space on it or whatever, you know, you know, bring a laptop, bring a Chromebook, you know, a tablet even. These are better gadgets uh, for doing recordings and even videos sometimes. 
Yeah, the quality of video and audio coming from an iPhone, or as you said, some of these other higher-end uh, smartphones, is really quite remarkable. Uh, I'm not so convinced that the apps that they try to sell you that are ghost hunting apps are, are as legitimate. Oh, no, those are crap. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, they... but the but the but the recording device and the camera in those phones is actually quite spectacular. Yeah, the problem with the apps is that they're. Every phone that they're they're designed to be downloaded on pretty much any phone. There's usually an Android and their iPhone model, and the problem with those are is that each phone has a, a different configuration. So you might have your internal gyroscopes, your magnometers, and everything that's built into these phones. You have most of them have them, but in, in every phone model, they're in different placements because no manufacturer makes their phones the same way. So you so does the um, does the app detect that? No, none of those are that sophisticated. They're a few megabytes in size, so they're not analyzing your phone's configuration and trying right. to adapt the best, you know, way of doing that. You never see an installation on any of these apps that where it even looks like it's trying to detect the best place. You would have to go through a configuration uh, point in which you would tilt your phone or move or move it left or right, and that sort of thing to figure out what you know, what the best configuration for that phone is, and none of these apps do that. So you know they're fake for that reason. So sorry to disappoint you, everyone. Yeah. Again, <laughs> um, it's, it's entertainment. Old, it's your, entertainment. Your equipment. Yeah. It's entertainment. Uh, we're talking tonight with Vince Wilson, author of the book Ultimate Ghost Tech. Several websites you can visit to learn about Vince. Ghosttech.com, posemagic.com, vincewilsonmagic.com. I want to ask you what you meant about EVP being more dangerous than uh, than Ouija boards. Talk okay. talk talk to us a little about AVP and, and what you're referring to there. All right, so Ouija board has rules. All right, it's like you know, never use in the graveyard. Always say goodbye, et cetera, et cetera. You know the, these basic rules. Uh, yet, what is? Let me ask you a question. What does every investigator say when after they hit record? What's the first words that come out of their mouth? Is there anybody with us? Yes. Yeah. Do they say a name? No. No, see, like, so in most rituals, you know, if you going back thousands of years and every kind of culture that deals with spirit communication, and believe it or not, as sciencey as you think you are doing it, you are still doing a ritual. All right, so you know you are going into a place and you're setting up things in a procedural manner and speaking words to communicate with spirits. What is that? It's a ritual. All right. So the, the, the Ouija board has ritualistic rules that are supposed to protect you. Ouija board tends to be safer because one of the things, one of the rules is during a seance is speak the name of the person you're trying to contact. And that could be as simple as I'm trying to contact the spirit of George Washington, Edgar Allan Poe, or even Jack the Ripper, you know, as opposed to is anyone here? If you're in a house, you could say, I'd like to talk to the previous owner of this house. You're defining rules and guidelines. Uh, now this now this could be argued to be more supernatural as opposed to paranormal, and that is a that there is a line there. Uh, supernatural being unknowable, like angels, demons, uh, you know, God, and et cetera, et cetera. While paranormal is plausibly scientific, you know, like you can we just don't know the information yet. You know, that's what the paranormal. That's the difference between the paranormal and the supernatural. Uh, however, like. Uh, regardless, if you're already nervous about Ouija boards, you're already delving down that aisle, that that alleyway anyway. Um, so, 
So rules, ritual, and that sort of thing. So when you say, when you contact spirits or ghosts, you know, and you're saying, is anyone here, without defining specifically who you're trying to contact you, you open that pop, that world up to anything and anyone. So if you're nervous, if you think that demons can show up during your investigation, you're inviting them in. You Like, you by not defining or, or making uh, specific rules, uh, you're inviting uh, possibly demonic activity into your environment. If you look at it that way, which is, which wouldn't happen with the Ouija board, right? Ironically, uh, kind of funny if you think about it. We've talked a lot about you know this idea that we can bring something across the threshold uh, that could be malicious, dangerous, um, malevolent, whatever. Uh, but in a more general sense, Vince, what is on what's on the other side that we're talking to when we're whether we're trying to use a Ouija board or we're trying to use an EVP session or we're trying to use uh, even a, a K2 meter or, or an EMF detector I mean what what are we actually trying to communicate with in your opinion well the uh, parapsychologists kind of you know you know there a lot of the paranormal community is divided on these um, is it ghosts with unfinished business which always bothered me uh, that aspect because like what if I die before I send an email I'm not going to be stuck haunting the, you know, my <laughs> right, keyboard. Right. Uh, what exactly defines unfinished? <laughs> uh, so, um, and then you have um, like uh, souls. You know, the, the concept of soul. If you're investigating souls, like the uh, what what is referenced in the Bible and other uh, theology, so you then you must be doing it for your own curiosity and not proving anything because that is an unknowable thing by definition of belief. You don't need to know. You believe in this thing. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're investigating that. You're doing it for self-fulfillment, not really for contributing to a field of research. Uh, parapsychology, on the other hand, would look at ghosts as copies of what we once were. Your soul, you know, goes to its final destination. If you're, I'm Catholic, so it's heaven, hell, or you get the extra option of purgatory. All right? Uh, so uh, so the, uh, that's what happens to your soul. And the Bible is very clear on that. It, it does not return. It does not come back. It does not visit. Uh, it goes to these destinations. Right. That's it. All right? You don't even get to $200 once you pass go. Right. <laughs> All right? Um, so uh, so what's left is the possibility that ghosts are an imprint, a copy of what you once were. Now, I want to put emphasis on this before the hate mail comes in. This is a theory, an opinion, and a possibility. These are not necessarily things that even I believe. I'm just saying Right. These are some of the theories out there that can that you, whatever you think a ghost is is fine, but a popular theory is that ghosts are some sort of electromagnetic resonance, an imprint on the environment, a copy of what we once were, bring a brainwave that's been embedded into the area of the haunting. You know, and the uh, and that could explain a lot of aspects of different types of hauntings. It's like it's like the. Uh, I give it a French kiss for being for fixing <laughs> so many different issues, the types of hauntings. Like, why are there different levels? Why are there, why are there uh, residual hauntings, intelligent hauntings? Why, you know, why do ghosts behave in certain ways? The imprint theory covers a lot of those bases. Not all of them, but a lot of them. What are your thoughts on the idea that hauntings are not external, but they're they're internal? They're, in other words. Whatever that energy is is actually affecting. If I'm seeing a ghost, affecting my brain, and I'm seeing it in, in my mind's eye, not as a physical manifestation in front of me. But the imprint theory actually covers that. It says that, you, you, for example, all right, 
how does every haunting story start? It's, you never hear realtors being scared out of houses, right? Yeah. It's all. It's always you move in and things gradually start to happen before right. you interact with the the haunting, right? And that suggests that a, one of a couple of different possibilities. The two most prominent is that the ghosts need the energy of the living to interact with them, you know. Or the other theory is that the the literally you are the playback mechanism. The recording is like a tape, like an old fashioned magnetic tape. I say old fashioned, and yet you know that's what I grew up on. Yep. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> me too. Like a magnetic tape, okay. Yep. And you are the player. You're, you know, you're talking about stored memories, stored uh, brain patterns, you know, in the environment, and you are the playback mechanism, and that's why you go in there and you're playing back these recordings by interacting with the environment. So those are two popular theories that may explain certain types of paranormal activity. Not all of it, but it's a good chunk of the the, uh, the phenomena that occurs out there. You, uh, you started kind of this part of our conversation using a, a tongue-in-cheek example of, you know, if you were if you passed away while you were sending an email and that's unfinished business, you know, would you haunt the keyboard? I think that explains why my typing is so bad. It's not me. My keyboard is definitely haunted. <laughs> so I anybody, when I'm ta- typing in chat, folks, it's my keyboard. It's haunted. It's not me when I'm making all those mistakes. Um Let's talk seances for a second, Vince. Uh, we talked about uh, whether it's EVP recorders or we're talking about uh, Ouija boards. You know, these are all tools. Are seances a legitimate tool to make contact? Sure. You know, it, 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 seances have been around as we know them since the 19th century. But spirit communication has been around since there have been people believing in spirits. You know, so it, it, and seances are a reasonably safe way of trying to communicate uh, with spirits in a in the uh, in a controlled environment, you know people are. Uh, I, listen, everyone, you are scared of seances because of movies, books, and TV shows, yeah. not because of any kind of perceived reality. All right, uh, people have been doing them at least for two hundred years. All right, and they are uh, with the with the right knowledge on how to conduct one. Uh, you can do a perfectly safe. Uh, seance in your home at a, a haunted location and that sort of thing. Remember the rules. Like, um, I call upon the spirit of Edgar Allan Poe. Within the this circle, you shall be contained. At the breaking of this, you shall remain in that circle to the breaking of the circle at which part you can return to whence you came in peace and without harm, etc., etc. You know, these are, and you get to create protective circles and that sort of thing. It's, it's actually it's very pleasant and fun experience that can be very rewarding for the participants. Uh, but you should always put emphasis on this. Make sure the person hosting the seance, uh, you know, is extremely experienced and they know the proper rituals and uh, wording to use to make sure that your, your seance circle, if you have someone who's very experienced, they'll never have an issue. Uh, if you have someone who's inexperienced, and you, you might have problems, you know, realistically, if you, if you believe that's a possibility, then that's probably what's going to happen. Seances are, were also, in many cases, a form of a parlor game, um, kind of like the Ouija board was. Uh, but there are some that are very, very serious. What's the difference between the parlor game ki- type and the serious kind? Well, the, in the uh, spiritualism was started by a guy named Emanuel Swedenborg, a Swedish uh doctor and a bit of a quack who started like basically a cult uh but aspects of that 
kind of carried over to uh, Europe and the, um, the Americas and became 19th century spiritualism, which was originally kind of a, a philosophy or even a scientific theory, uh, and which he was later in the 20th century evolved into a full-fledged religion. But at the time, everyone was doing seances and, and uh, performing spiritualistic rituals. Uh, the idea that the theory, the prevalent theory at the time was that for, you know, like when people ask, like, why are ghosts talking to us now for the first time in, you know, 5,000 years? The answer was maybe because of the technology that's evolving right now. Maybe we're ready for this now. And they're, they're deciding now is the appropriate time to contact us. And that theory is as good as any other one, I guess. Uh, but, the, but, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, attempts at spiritualism. That lasted all the way through the 19th century into the early 20th century and continues to this day. Ghost hunting today is techno-spiritualism. You're just swapping out tambourines and horns for voice recorders and EMF detectors. Um, you know, and that is the uh, the modern-day rituals that these the people do in the ghost hunting shows. Uh, but seances, yeah, the, the difference between the parlor and the serious one is is literally as the as the descriptive uh, words you're using imply, is a serious one is people with a deliberate intention, um, where they they're sitting down with an experienced seance, um, you know, host or medium who is able to, you know, in, in this case, medium could be someone who has uh, a sensitivity to the psychic, uh, or someone like myself who has who has experienced with connecting uh, people in a seance format. A parlor one is where there might be tricks involved, where it's, it's, a, it's a fun game night where the lights go out and everyone gets spooked. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just about the, the intentions of the, the host or the hosts in this case. Um, you have studied seances and their history. Do you conduct them as well, Vince? Oh, all the time. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm doing one multiple times. I've done several in October, um, and I do. I actually kind of uh, was pioneering virtual seances during the uh, during the pandemic. You know, the and if, if people are interested in having me uh, do a seance for you or your group virtually or through uh, in person, if possible, just let me send me send me an email through ghosttech.com. I'd be happy to reach out. How do how do the virtual ones work? I mean, everything is, you know, we're doing everything virtually now. We've got psychics doing psychic readings, mediums doing mediumship readings uh, so virtually. Uh, obviously, seances can be can fall in that category, too. But how does it work in that sense? Well, the theory is that ghosts care not about um, time and space, the uh, distances between people. It, it's a factor that does not apply to them, uh, to, you know, in their, in their current state of being and existence. So what you do is first you have, at the beginning of the seance, the, the seance uh, host, once again, someone who's experienced in this sort of thing, uh, conducts a protective circle ritual, basically one that's more individualistic. You ask each individual to create a protective circle of light around them uh, in the right mindset, usually using a relaxation technique to uh, create a state of mind in which the conscious and subconscious mind is more connected, allowing for a deeper connection to the spiritualistic. Uh, and then you uh, you call upon the specific spirit you wish to contact, okay? um, you know, and um, then you use the appropriate uh, 
you know, protective ritual wording, like I call you know, call the spirits in the circle. At the breaking of the circle, they shall until the breaking of the circle, they shall remain within it uh, without harm to anyone present. And then you uh, uh, break the circle at the end, which returns the your spirit into it's it's the place where it came from. And then you can ask everyone about their individual experiences. And every single seance I've done virtually, people have had experiences. They have felt breaths on the back of their neck. Oh, wow. They've uh, felt being touched. They felt a presence in the room. They heard voices in their ears. It is a uh, it is an incredible experience when done by someone who knows what they're doing. So let me get this straight. So if someone had a, a gathering, let's say they have a, a group of you know six people coming to their home, maybe, and they mm-hmm. want to bring you in virtually to hold a seance for them, that's something you do. Oh, absolutely, yes. And so, if so and I know I know my audience would be very interested in something like this. So they they contact you. I think you said through the Ghost Tech. Was it ghosttech.com website? Is that That's the right. That's yeah. right. Or you just call JB up and he'll reach out to me. That's right. I'll do that too. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we're approaching October here, and October is kind of the unofficial ghost month because it ends with Halloween. Uh, and it what is the th- month of Halloween. Yeah, exactly. Call it October anymore. Yeah, right. It's, it's absolutely right. Uh, but one of the cases that everybody talks about all of the time, it's probably the most nor- notorious haunting case in at least American history, and, and pop culture had a lot to do with that, is the Amityville case. Ed and Lorraine Warren were involved in that case in the beginning. Um, was it Jay Anson? Is he the guy that wrote the book? I think I have the name close. That is correct, yeah, yeah. Jay Anson. He wrote the book. He was the attorney for George Lutz. He wrote the book based on their testimony. It became not one movie, but it became a series of probably 20 movies at this point, maybe more. What are your thoughts? You must have looked at this from an academic standpoint at some point. And is this a place that you'd like to get in and do some research in? I absolutely would love to investigate the Amityville Horror House, even though I'm fairly convinced that at the very least it was exaggerated. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, you know if, if there was, there were murders that actually happened in that house. Oh, horrific. Yeah. Terrible, horrible murders. There was, you know, there are a lot of emotions that were present in the house. Due to emotional abuse and trauma that the uh, Ronald DeFeo's father and you you know imposed on that on his family, yeah, you know DeFeo himself had severe mental illness, um, uh, you know, and was and should should have gotten therapy and psychiatric treatment and help with his drug abuse that he never received. Not to justify or make excuses for the murders he committed, right? Because those were horrible and he was evil for doing them. But nevertheless, there were. Many opportunities, probably over the years of his life, in which he could have gotten help and didn't receive it. Um, and the uh, those all those things are true, and they did, definitely did happen there. But the but the thing is, there's no precedent for that level of activity in any ghost story. There, and you know, as far as every parapsychologist and researcher in the world, and there's there's believe it or not, there's libraries, there's academic research libraries that exist that were where people catalog. Every investigative story, as far as much as we can get them, and there is no story, unfortunately, as, as fun as that would be for your horror movie fans out there, of people checking in and not checking out because the ghost killed them at night or attacked them to that degree. If, if that thing happened on a regular basis, we'd have it wouldn't be an argument. We'd be teaching the paranormal in the schools. You know, it would be not That's a right. debatable topic. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, the paranormal might be real, and the phenomena, the phenomena is more subtle 
than horror movies lead us to be. And if the enemy of horror has any truth to it, it's definitely exaggerated and, and at least partially made up. It definitely wasn't built on Native American burial grounds, for example. Right. That's, that's, a, that's a myth. Uh, did Ronnie DeFeo just die recently, or am I remembering that wrong? Did I he, believe that is correct. In prison still, yeah. yeah. He murdered yeah. Uh, six family members with a shotgun one night, which is yeah. the yeah. which is the murders you're talking about. It's funny because um, I have, you know, I watch that house, uh, and I have a sticky note. I have a little Post-it note on my studio shelf here um, in which I've got the address of that house because they've changed the address from the original address because of tourists. But yeah. uh, I keep watching it because if it ever goes up for sale, I'm going to raise funds for with a group of people, and we are going to buy it, and we are going to investigate it. Vince, I'm going to call you. You're going to come uh, join us when we do this. <laughs> and, me in. Yeah, and we're going to do like a month-long investigation. You know, We'll get a bunch of professionals in there. We'll do everything we can. We'll turn it upside down paranormally. And then at the end of, the, end of all that, I can, I can, we can turn around and resell it. But I am dying to get in there and investigate it, and b- mostly because of what you said. I don't think the story is legitimate as it's being told. If anything, it's exaggerated, but boy, I'd love to get in there and see for myself. Yeah, the uh, it, it, like I said, it's the it's it's a good story, you know. It's it's uh, and there's some evidence suggests that you know the a belief in something can make it a reality. But uh, people have lived in that house since then, and a few people yeah. have claimed have had minor experiences. Some have claimed to have nothing at all. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the, the family that yeah. was in there after the Lutzes, I think it was the Camardi family or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they, they, I remember seeing an interview where they said absolutely nothing ever happened to them. But then again, that also can come into play where we were talking about earlier, where it's the energy of the people involved, not just, mm-hmm. you know, the energy of the of whatever's happening there paranormally. So maybe they just, maybe they were close to it or didn't draw it out or whatever. I mean, I'm just giving them the benefit of the doubt at this point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it, 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 it very exaggerated to say the least, but... It's uh, you know, but the reality is something we'll probably never know for certain. Most of the people involved, the Lutzes are uh, the the parents anyway, are both passed away. Yeah, uh, you know, Ronald DeFeo passed away. I think it was last year. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and you know, and there's, um, you know, and, and even some of the kids said it was it was exaggerated or messed up or made up completely. You know, yeah. but. But they were very young at the time, so maybe we won't know the answers to that either. Yeah, I've uh, I've interviewed Christopher Lutz Quartino now a few times. He's kind of a friend of mine, um, and you know he, I think he's a bit torn. I think he he kind of he hates to disappoint people when he tells his story, uh, but you know I think his conclusion or his message is that it was it was, some weird things happened, but the story we know is an exaggeration. What do you have coming up? You, you're always doing stuff. Oh, well, like I said, I, I'm doing, uh, uh, I do a magic show, which is based on the haunted places I've visited mm-hmm. over the years, uh, where I tell stories of different haunted places I've visited through the magic of the show. Uh, and that's fun, you know, but as far as the paranormal stuff is concerned, I'm doing multiple seances uh, and real ones. Not the, uh, these are... Uh, as real as they can be, no tricks or or effects or noise makers or anything like that. It's just it's literally me and some pendulums and a candle, maybe. Uh, and I'll be doing those in live and in, in person in the next couple of months. Um, and uh, I'll be doing some in Pittsburgh, Ocean City, Maryland, um, 
uh, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and, some, and uh, possibly New York in November. Uh, but I'll be like doing some touring, uh, seance performances, um, and, and I say performances, but they're, they, these are real seances. They're right. Not, they're not tricks. You know, they're I'll be reenacting traditional seances with some modern uh, spin on it. But yeah, that's what I'll be doing. And if you, like I said, if you're interested in me doing a seance for you, just send me a letter. I'd, I'd love to do like a big. Uh, world's largest seance event. Oh, that'd be so, cool! Great people involved. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. That would be a tremendous. Fun. Is October generally a busy month for you? I imagine it is. Oh yeah, it's it's when all the news people contact me like locally. <laughs> yeah. I usually get on the, the TV stations in Baltimore with the with the traditional cliched. You're going to call Vince Olson, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. You know. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's very busy in October. But the uh, but September is is. Is getting busier. November is. I'm already getting people requesting, um, you know, lectures or, um, you know, you know, October's pretty booked solid, but November is starting to get there too. Uh, but yeah, weekdays I'm usually pretty good. Once Weekends again, are when everybody wants me. That's right. Let's <laughs> once again let people know how they can get in touch with you if they're interested in a seance or just uh, maybe looking at your yeah, schedule ghost, or whatever. Ghosttech, yeah, ghosttech.com. Uh, VinceWilsonMagic.com has a bunch of links on it to different places. Uh, my local Baltimore website for paranormal investigation is Be More Paranormal. It's B without the E. It is letter B paranormal, or I'm sorry, letter B more as in be like Be More Paranormal. Uh, as a play on Baltimore and just Be More, but uh, Be More Paranormal.com. But just go to GhostTech.com. That's easier. Um, and you can send me an email from there, or a message, or you can find me on social media. Uh, Vince Wilson uh, on you know Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, but yeah, the uh, send me an email and, and the, if you want to put something together, I'd be happy to help post. Or uh, and I'm also looking for a new parapsychologists. You know, we're looking for. Uh, I run the um, I'm executive director of the American Institute of Parapsychology, and we're looking to train new parapsychologists. So if that's something you're interested in. I can put you on a program. Help get you your certification in parapsychology. Do you have to have any particular qualifications to do that, Vince? You you just have to, uh, you know, the for many years, parapsychologists only wanted people with degrees in the social sciences, and that's it's fair. Um, but right now, we're we're looking for side field researchers, which is like an amateur parapsychologist. Think of it this way, all right? A astronomer. Uh, you know, is a, has goes to school for six years to learn astronomy, but amateur astronomers, uh, like you know, even in high school or younger, you know, they go out and they put a telescope in the backyard, out in the woods or something like that, and they make amazing discoveries. Yeah. Without all, you know. That's right. And the the field researcher has the potential of doing that. So right now we're looking for field researchers who can eventually become future parapsychologists. As far as qualifications are concerned. We just want you to be dedicated to it, to actually look at the history of the evolution of paranormal thought and ideas and uh, and be open to all sorts of possibilities. And with that kind of dedication, you could be a sci-field researcher and then one day a parapsychologist. And is uh, that accessible through the same website, Vince? Is it ghosttech.com yeah, as well? you can send me an email about that or you can just, if you want to, I don't want to confuse people with too many web links. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but ghosttech.com. Uh, the uh, you know is the is parapsychologylab.com is for the official website for the American Institute of Parapsychology, uh, but but if you want to contact me directly, just go through ghosttech.com. 
Vince, thanks for being here. I always enjoy speaking with you. Please let us know when you have things coming up or anything else uh, that you're working on that uh, you'd like to share with folks. We'd love to have you back on. Absolutely. And and remember, ghosttech.com, folks, two T's in there, ghosttech.com. So, Vince, take care. October's going to be a busy month for you. I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Likewise. Talk to you soon.